Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. This is Our American Stories, and we bring you stories of all kinds, from the arts to sports and from business to history and everything in between, including your stories. Send them to ouramericannetwork.org. That's ouramericannetwork.org. And now it's time for the McClellan Files, where we go deep inside the life of Bob McClellan. Bob is one of our favorite features on the show, bringing us stories about his own life, love, loss, comedy, tragedy, and success. Today, Bob brings us a tragedy, the death of his father. My father's doctor called to schedule a biopsy of lung tissue that they suspected might be lung cancer. 
Since his lungs were in such poor condition, due to his emphysema, they wanted to use surgery and come in through the back to obtain more tissue, to be sure. This news finally penetrated the veneer of his indifference to his health, and I heard the anxiousness in his voice when he called for me to come up to the hotel to talk to him about it. His concern was compounded by the request to do it the very next morning. Sitting on the bed, cigarette between his fingers, he brooded about what was ahead. This was not the news he had anticipated, and he was rattled by it. He preferred a quick death rather than a lingering death from cancer. We went over the entire conversations he'd had with the surgeon to figure out what to do. Silence followed when we finished, and we sat there with our own thoughts. Finally, he lifted his big head and turning to me, he said, You know, Bob, they wish you were still drinking so we could go downstairs to the bar and have a few drinks together. I was astonished that he said that. I'd been sober for over a year, and I thought he supported my decision. But before I could answer him, he said, No, 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 I take that back. I like you much better when you're sober. We sat in the surgeon's office and asked if the chief risk with an operation was that he might not recover enough to live independently. Once again, the surgeon nodded affirmatively, and my father said he would not do it. The doctor started to talk about the alternatives, like chemo or radiation, until my dad raised an open hand, no, and I'm not going to do any of that either. The surgeon paused and said he understood, but then asked why. My father leaned forward in his chair towards the doctor and pointing at this massive head of black and silver hair, he said, Do you see all this hair, doctor? I'm taking it all with me when I go. How much time do I have before I won't be able to take care of myself? Surgeon said, Well, Mr. McClellan, if you don't do anything at all, then I'd say six months or so, maybe a year. I'll take the six months, my dad said, and he thanked him for his time and we left. Eventually, his doctors had to make arrangements for him to report to the convalescent hospital for transit and temporary duty, as my father referred to it. Conversations in here with him were about small talk or last-minute details about his funeral. His funeral instructions were clear. You promised me you'll have me cremated. I'm not a Catholic like your mother, you know, and I don't want any blessings or ceremonies. I also have a free burial, but the only place they can bury me is in the state of Washington, and I don't want to be buried up there. And it's too damn cold. Most importantly, don't waste any money on newspapers or programs. There isn't going to be anyone around who remembers me. These business matters seemed the direction that he wanted the conversation to go. I was disappointed, but I knew this would not be the time to try to mend relationships or old injuries or make apologies. My father would dismiss it, say it won't matter. He'd be dead and all will die with him. Besides, what would be the point? But the time to get to learn more about him was waning. I wondered how he could be so matter-of-fact about his dying. I also knew there wouldn't be no deathbed come to Jesus' awakening or a confession of guilt, sentimental display of affection or regrets from my father. He had no burden to unload and wouldn't discuss it with his children if he did. He looked like he was just waiting patiently for his name to be called. He had one more stop to make, and that was the cemetery. His life had come full circle. Once again, like on Guadalcanal, he was alone with no relief in sight. He knew, too, that he would not leave this room alive. This time, however, there'd be no great explosion, 
or the violent perforating impact of bullets hitting his chest or head. Now it would be just a slow and quiet leak. It seemed each shallow breath that left his body would not return, and soon he would be out of life. He had no pain or need of any equipment. He just had to lie there and wait to be called. It was now just a matter of time. He faced what was ahead as if he was waiting for another landing craft to take him to another foreign island. He was calm. He was always calm and always prepared. He had that look that a young Marine needed to see from his platoon sergeant as he climbs down into a landing craft. That look came from his character, well sharpened by Marine Corps training and the weight of responsibility for his men. His mind was always clear and sharp, even when people around him were dying. Sometimes when amused or undistracted, he could make small talk, but in between his words one says he was having another conversation in his mind. The contrast of his life in this transit station of a hospice to the one he led could not have been more extreme. On the ward, there were no men drinking, recounting stories of battle, or remembering old friends. There were no more brilliantly colored uniforms or music from the division band. There were no ceremonies or parades left to perform. The pageantry which had so marked his life in the Marine Corps was gone. No longer would his ears be assaulted by the sounds of battle or experience the terrifying uncertainty of war. Soon, everything would be still and quiet. Now he lies amidst the colorless sterility, flavorous hygiene, and the detached efficiency of preparing people for the grave. Here, he is now just a man waiting once again to die. The proud symbol he once wore on his uniform of the 1st Marine Division, with the word Guadalcanal and the number, was unimportant now. Now, the chaos of struggle and death would be here within these walls of a building, rather than in a jungle. And we're listening to Bob McClellan's story, well, actually his father's, which is so inextricably bound up with his son's. And by the way, go to the McClellan files, and there are a whole bunch of stories about both Bob and his father, and about the Marine Corps, and so much more. When we come back, more of the life of Bob McClellan and his father, here on Our American Stories. Folks, if you love the great American stories we tell and love America like we do, we're asking you to become a part of the Our American Stories family. If you agree that America is a good and great country, please make a donation. A monthly gift of $17.76 is fast becoming a favorite option for supporters. Go to OurAmericanStories.com now and go to the Donate button and help us keep the great American stories coming. That's OurAmericanStories.com. And we continue here with Our American Stories and the McClellan Files and Bob's story of his own father's death. Let's return to Bob McClellan. The sounds of dementia more than occasionally filled the hall with fear-filled cries for help. Some patients screamed for help over and over while others sat strapped in wheelchairs calling endlessly for the nurses who undistracted quietly continued working. The alarm on the doors would ring constantly as another patient wandered aimlessly outside, senselessly searching for home or a familiar place to return to. 
The help they sought seldom came as there was little that could be done for them. They had lost contact with the world around them, and their fearful pleas were based on some instinctual knowledge that they were lost and no one was going to come to find them. They were lost. They were lost in their minds as if their world was transformed from the one they knew to the one of fantasy. Fragmented memories and dark nightmares of imagined phantoms appearing quickly and disappearing like flashing lights. They sensed that something was out of order and their vision of chaos magnified their fears. They weren't crying out because of neglect, but rather from the painful unconscious knowledge of not knowing where they were or what was happening to them. Dying can be so ugly. Whether or not they could comprehend where they were, they knew they were helpless and afraid to die. My father was not afraid to die. He was calm and clear and unlike the people in the ward. He knew what was going on and that he had very little time left. But every day seemed to be his last and then he would get a brief recovery. It was a tough waiting period as the outcome of these reprieves would not be recovery, but yet another day to wait for the inevitable. The end became visible when I came to visit him and as always, brought a pint of vodka for him. This time, however, when I opened the drawer of the bedside table, I saw that the last one I brought him was unopened. It was then that I knew the end was near. The pressure had finally gotten so great it became necessary to take a few days out of town to relax. It was not pressure from the anxiety of watching my father die, but from the exhausting, long process that it took to bring him to this moment. I tried to remember that it was important to give him all I could and take care of his last few days. I was comforted by the fact that when the end finally did arrive, I could walk away knowing that I did all I could for him and return to my life. But with the funeral services coming soon, I expected that I had further to go before peace would come and life would find its equilibrium again. It was going to be a stressful and busy time. Before leaving town, I went and I sat by my father's bed. He laid still in the bed, staring at the ceiling. He spoke sparingly. His six-foot-two-inch body had shed all of the water weight that he had carried for the last few years. His face, though pale, had recovered some of the lean skeletal structure that gave him both a handsome and fearsome look. I wanted to avoid sentiment in the conversation unless my father had something to say but I really could not let these last moments pass without expressing some feelings. I told him I had to go out of town for a few days and I wanted to talk with him before I left. Leaning closer to the bed to avoid raising my voice, I said, Dad, Dad, I just want you to know what a great father you are and how much I love you. I'm going to miss you very much, Dad. I'm going to miss you very much. He continued to stare at the ceiling. His lucid eyes were open and his skeletal face expressionless as he lay still. He made no response. Leaning closer, I said, Dad, Dad, did you hear what I said? He nodded and with a whisper said, yes. Well, is there anything you want to say to me? I asked. Looking at me, he said, like what? What do you mean, like what? Aren't you going to miss me? Don't you have anything you want to say to me? Now, how the hell am I going to miss you, Bob, if I'm dead? Jesus, is that the best you can do? Don't you even want to tell me you love me or that I was a good son or something? Why? You don't know that already? That's not the point. I'd like to hear something from you. 
Is that what this is all about, Bob? You don't know it already, so you have to come down here right now and try to pull this out of me? What do you think you're watching, a movie? You really want to make me do this? Coming back once more to extract those feelings about me, I asked him, don't you even want to tell me you love me? Or that I was a good son? I'm ashamed as I remember this moment. In his response, you really don't know that already? Okay, forget it, I said in frustration. And with frustration and disrespect, I stood up and standing at the end of his bed, I said to my father, I'm leaving now. I've got to get out of town. I'll be back in four days. If you're here when I return, I will see you then. If not, then this is goodbye. My father lifted his arm and with a slight wave of his hand, he said, then this is goodbye. I turned and walked out of the room to my car. Two days later, he died. As I walked out to my car that night, I thought about what an SOB he was. How could he be so hard and unemotional? Yet sitting in the car after I left him, I had this nagging feeling deep down he was right. I did know it. I can't remember ever doubting it. But that night I needed some gesture of his feelings for me. I really didn't need to be told again or at any other time in my life that he loved me. He displayed it so many ways through my life, but none of those times comported to the tender scene by the bedside I had imagined. He was just missing the music and the color and the camera close-up that my weakness needed to magnify this scene and my importance. Ironically, I had already received this gift of love. At this time, I sent it back because it didn't come in the right wrapping. This last conversation I had with him has stayed with me for many years. It is one of those stories that when I tell over drinks always attracted sympathy for me and allowed others to share their disappointments about the absence of parents expressing love while they're dying. The ultimate answer to the question of why am I so unhappy? What's missing in my life? However, these were false feelings looking to isolate his lack of tenderness as an excuse for my need for validation and explain my problems in life. I should have realized that to my father, love meant romance. Telling my listener the story, I would wallow in lamentations of self-pity and try to soothe my hurt feelings for my failings in life. Wrapped tight in my victim's blanket, I became a self-centered invalid, consoling myself for the lack of hope and happiness. I'm ashamed to see myself almost pleading to hear him say something to me to make his death about me rather than the father who raised me, supported me, and remained a fixture in my life. Years later, I truly admitted to myself that he was right. I did know, and I really didn't need him to repeatedly tell me. My father's language to communicate his feelings was not in words, but in actions. I knew that as a child, I was simply below his radar screen, but as I grew up, I earned his respect. I would never be his peer. But his respect was how he demonstrated his affections for the people he loved. Most importantly, I learned sitting there afterwards is how self-centered I can be. Here is my father dying in front of me. And all I can think about is him saying tender words about me. And what a story. And Bob McClellan's story. Well, it's a lot of our stories, right? We want people to love us the way we want to be loved. And then we start to resent those people who do love us because it's not the way we'd like it. And any of us who've been sort of ungrateful kids do come to that conclusion at some point in time, blaming your parents who loved you, not perfectly, but their best. 
is loser's game. Because you'll have kids too one day. How the hell am I going to miss you when I'm dead? It's just, you can't beat it. It's just fantastic. And it's beautiful in its own way. I, my own mom and dad, they were, they were from a generation that didn't say I love you all the time. And I remember my last few months with my mom having the late shift and bringing her, her cigarettes, sneaking them in. And sure, her puffing away and we would listen to Frank Sinatra tapes or her favorite talk show host with a little yellow transistor radio piping in from WABC in New York and just holding her hand. I knew she loved me, though. I didn't, I didn't make a trauma of it. My mom and dad loved me. But some of my siblings and some of my peers, boy, they'd make a trauma of no trauma at all, some of them. Bob McClellan's story, so many of our stories, a beautiful story. By the way, your father and mother's stories, we'd love to hear them. Send them to ouramericannetwork.org, but we're asking you, be real. That's all we ask, be real. That's what we try and do here every day. Tell your own story the way only you can tell it. The McClellan Files can be found at ouramericannetwork.org. That's ouramericannetwork.org. This is Our American Stories. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in our lives, big ones and small ones. If we keep them bottled up, boy, that can be a real problem. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest, to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. I know people who've profoundly benefited from therapy, learning everything from coping skills to setting boundaries in their life. You don't have to have experienced major trauma to benefit from therapy. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's safe. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash OAS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash OAS. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash OAS. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. This is Our American Stories, and we tell all kinds of stories here on the show. This next story is the story of Sean Pronger, and he was a journeyman NHL player who got his start on the hockey beat at a very young age, close to home. Here's Sean with his story. To talk about the Gretzky chapter, um, we're going to have to go back to where it all began. Dryden, Ontario, Canada. Um, I grew up in Dryden, a great town, loved living there. Um, But if you don't like hockey and you don't like ice fishing, you probably aren't going to enjoy your time in Dryden because it is remote. It's four hours from the nearest city, uh, four hours from Winnipeg, four hours from Thunder Bay. uh, And it's winter there for about eight to nine months. And we're talking real winter when it's 30 to 40 below is the norm and so there's not a lot to do if you don't enjoy those two activities and fortunately for me uh, my brother loved playing and all of our buddies loved playing so we would play on our driveway we would play on the street in front of our house and we had a, a outdoor rink uh, a block away and so we played hockey non-stop but I think the real games were down in uh, our basement at 161 St. Charles Street um, like every town in Canada or every city um, Hockey Night in Canada was a big deal and uh, everything kind of just stopped. You know, all plans were made before or after Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday nights. And uh, our house, the Pronger house, was no different. We would, my mom and dad would come down there, my brother and I would settle in and, and watch the game. And every uh, intermission or commercial break was time to play one on one right in front of my parents with our floor hockey sticks. And I was always a forward, Chris was always a defenseman. And I look back down and, and just laugh because my, my parents just watched basically their two sons just beat the shit out of each other while her and my dad would just kind of sit back and relax and enjoy the uh, entertainment. And so we would, uh, like I said, I was always forward. So then I would dump it into the fake, you know, into the living room corner and uh, he would go back to get it and I would ram his head into the drywall and then we'd brawl and, that, you know, just repeat that over and over for, uh, I don't know, eight or nine years. <laughs> and so every game, every Hockey Night Canada, we would do that. And I was always Gretzky, and he was always Bossy. Even though Bossy wasn't a defenseman, uh, Chris's favorite player was Mike Bossy growing up, and, and mine was uh, Wayne Gretzky. And with Dryden being where it is, we were four hours from Winnipeg a couple times a year. 
the Pronger family would load up the family truckster and head up to Winnipeg to watch the Jets play the Oilers in the, uh, the old, good old Smythe division. Obviously, loved watching 99 play and, uh, and how he could see everything and see the game. It was just uh, a real thrill. But one time we went up there and we, the hotel, I'm not sure if my dad knew this or we just got lucky, but the hotel that he booked us in was the same hotel the Oilers were staying in. And I'll never forget, we're in the lobby and we're, we're just kind of hanging out down there and we kind of look up and there's Kevin Lowe and Wayne Gretzky. And my brother, just like, like they're old buddies, as we're walking past, he's like, hey, Kev, <laughs> to Kevin Lowe. Uh, I, find that, I find that hilarious now that, uh, you know, Kevin Lowe would then go on to uh, sign my brother to a massive contract and then he would ask to be traded a year later. <laughs> Their history started early. Um, <clears throat> so then, then, so we're in the hotel and we're kind of just like trying to figure out a way to go see more players and I'm trying to figure out how to, way to see Gretzky. They're in the... Gretzky's in the dining room or the uh, restaurant and uh, my brother and I were kind of peering around the corner like checking him out. He was, I think he was having breakfast with Glenn Sather. So I'm watching him thinking, well, I don't want to bother him when he's eating. I just, this seems weird. And about that time, a guy came up behind me and he had a jersey. He said, hey kid, can you go get this autograph for my son? And I thought, well, this is kind of weird, but you know, I never, you know, I'm kind of taught like, you know, you don't say no to adults, so... I walk over, interrupt his breakfast, and said, Mr. Gretzky, would you mind signing this? I could tell he was reluctant just because he's in a you know, restaurant, and I, you know, years later I'd figure out why he didn't want everybody else to think they needed to come up and get an autograph. But anyway, he signed it, he was a gentleman, he was great. I gave it to the guy, and it dawned on me years later that that guy probably wasn't getting it signed for his son. He was probably hawking it at a memorabilia shop, uh, but lesson learned. So anyway, my you know, passion for oiler hockey and my, uh, the fact that Wayne Gretzky was my idol started at a, at a very young age. And then if you fast forward years later, I'm now, in, you know, in my own career in the NHL. Um, actually, the way the year started, I was playing for the Penguins. Uh, at the end, I got traded at the end of 98. But the play is set up in the slot where Pronger gets himself in a great position. Uh, from the Anaheim Ducks or Mighty Ducks back then. Sean Pronger's a good kid. And I finished the season with the Pittsburgh Penguins rather unceremoniously. And then before a game against the Washington Capitals, the Kevin Constantine calls me in. And so I get there. He's like, Sean, we're trading you to New York. And for some reason, I thought it was the Islanders. He's like, I'm like, okay. And he's like, yeah, so you're going to the Rangers. And I'm like, the Rangers? And he lo- I remember him looking at me like, why do you look so happy? And I just thought, like, the Rangers, this is, like, Gretzky's on this team. Adam Graves, Kevin Stevens, Brian Leach, John McClain, Mike Richter, Jeff Bukaboom, Ulf Samuelson, all these guys I grew up watching, right? I mean, obviously my idol, and then all these other guys that I grew up watching. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. This is a rebirth for me. So I get traded, you know, get traded. It was a block. It was actually a blockbuster trade. It was uh, Alexei Kovalev, um, Harry York and $15 million. So the way I kind of matched up the trade was uh, Alexei Kovalev for Peter Nedved, Harry York for Chris Tamer, and $15 million for Sean Pronger. It's just the way I kind of broke the trade down internally. And so it was, uh, yeah, it was a big trade. So we meet the team in Buffalo, and <laughs> I, 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 mean, I don't know what I was expecting, but I get to the rink, and Craig McTavish is the assistant coach, 
And he's like, hey, Prongs, welcome to New York. Uh, you're not playing tonight. And I'm like, here we go again. <laughs> um, so anyway, I scratched my first game for the Rangers, which was a sign of things to come. Um, but what was really, I was thrilled to go to New York. My childhood best friend from Dryden, Ontario, Chris Hancock, had been living there for a few years. And so it was like, all right, we've got to keep, make sure, you know, you two small town boys from Canada uh, in the big city, things could get out of hand, so we had to draw some boundaries and, and make sure, okay, you got a job, you got a career you got to worry about, I got a career I got to worry about, let's, you know, make sure we pick our spots. So we tried to keep our distance, and I wasn't playing, so I'd maybe get in the lineup for, you know, a couple shifts here and there, and then I'd be a healthy scratch for three games, get back in for a couple shifts, healthy scratch for a few games. And so I talked to the, uh, our strength and conditioning coach. I said, I want you to drop a program that's going to keep me ready to play. As soon as I get my opportunity, I'm, I want to be ready to go and I'm going to take it. And then it never came. And so it was just getting to the point where something's got to give. And I was just kind of getting so frustrated. And I think it was a game in uh, Washington, actually, where <laughs> I, I finally think I got my opportunity to, to, to do something. It was, uh, I think we're in the second period. I'm in the lineup, which is great. And we're killing a five on three. And he left, and Muckler, who's a coach, left me out there. And I'm like, okay, this is my chance. And I don't know why I thought that was my chance to go show them what I could do offensively, because we're killing a penalty five on three. I don't know what I thought, but whatever, I was going to make my mark. And uh, anyway, so I, I got the puck, and I'm ready. Uh, and I, they kind of they fanned on the puck, and they gave it to me, and I'm kind of going at full speed. And there's two guys that I, to beat. And the right place is dumping in, and then you know change and hey, you've done your job. But I think you know what I can beat. I can beat these guys. So I might. What I was gonna do is like split the D, go in, score, and then you know right off into the sunset. Not the case. So I go to split the D, poke check. I keep going. They pass it up. Ding, ding, ding. Three on two. Actually, four on two. Pucks in the back of our net. I'm on the bench. Never to come off the bench. And now I'm sitting out I must, for probably the next three or four or five games. And when we come back, more with this journeyman hockey player's story here on Our American Story. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. 
Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. And we're back with Our American Stories and the story of Sean Pronger. In his own words, let's return to the rest of this great sports story. So now I'm skating in practice, getting crushed, and I go in to talk to Muckler. Actually, first of all, I asked Craig McTavish. I'm like, Mac T, what should I do? You know, like, I, I want to play. I, I want to know what I need to do to, to, stay in the line, to get in the lineup and stay in the lineup. He's like, Prongs, go talk to him. So I'm like, all right. All right, I'll go talk to him. So I go in there, and John Muckler, I mean, I grew up watching this guy as part of the Oiler dynasty. Pretty intimidating dude. He's got that s- s- massive head of silver, silvery white hair. He's got his feet up on the thing. I mean, if he had a scotch, it wouldn't be out of place if he had a scotch and a cigar, uh, the way he was sitting there. And I'm like, hey, Coach Mux, uh, you had a second? He's like, yeah, come on in. I'm like, hey, Coach, I just want to let you know, I love, love New York, love playing for the Rangers. I want to play more. What do I need to do? to stay in the lineup, or get in the lineup and stay in the lineup. And he goes off on a rant for about 15 minutes about how good the Edmonton Oilers were in the 80s at playing a give-and-go game, and how players today in the you know mid to late 90s could not play that style of game, and it was very frustrating to him. So he went off for about 15 minutes on that, and I remember walking out, and Mac T was walking by, I was just coming out, he's like, so how'd it go? I'm like, honestly, I have no idea how it went, but He's a big fan of the way you guys played in the uh, 80s. And so I kind of went back to my locker, and I'm just like, something's got to give. So I, t- I called my buddy, Herbie Hancock. Hello? Herbie, tonight's tonight. We're going out. And so, all right, we're, we're going out, and we just, so we go to whatever local pub, which there is, more, you know, seven on every block. And so we pick one, go there, and, you know, we're having a great time. And New York's awesome. Having a great time. Near a couple different spots we hit. And I remember walking into 
a bar, it was I think 1.30, and I was very concerned when, when uh, the after hours bars uh, were, what time they open, or what time, you know, when's that going to go down? Uh, so I wasn't ready to call it a night, it was 1.30, which is, you know, obviously the last call is getting close, or so I thought, and I remember walking over to the bartender, and I'm like, excuse me ma'am, what time's, uh, what time do the after hours bars open around here? And she goes, you mean after we close at 4.30? <laughs> and I'm like, no. No, this will be good. So, of course, we stayed there until 4.30, shut that bar down. Luckily, it was only about a 20-minute walk back to my place. And then, you know, I got there at like 5 and had to get up at 7 to drive to practice. And which is not a big deal because that particular, the day before, I was actually practicing as the 8th defenseman. And so I wasn't too worried about how I felt when I got to practice. So I get up, obviously not feeling the best, but I'm like, all right, just deal with it. And so get to practice, get grab my usual breakfast of champions, coffee with a double chocolate chip muffin. And I'm sitting there with kind of chocolate smeared all over my face, just taking it all in in the, in the locker room. And I'm like looking around and something's kind of, something's a little off. I'm like, it's kind of like when you're, your wife, girlfriend, mother would re- rearrange the furniture. And I'm looking around, I'm like, do we got a new player? What is, what is going on here? And so it was just the color scheme was out of whack. And so I'm looking, I'm like, no, all the name bars are the same, name tags. And I look over and I'm like, in my stall, which is normally the yellow jersey, because I'm either on the fifth line or I'm on the fourth set of defensemen, um, it was a red jersey. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Because um, uh, the red jersey is Gretzky's Lions jersey. And I'm like, well, obviously this is a mistake. So I grab the jersey, and I go to uh, I go to Mike Fogelin, who's the equipment guy, and I go like, Fogs, you gave me the wrong color jersey, and I kind of throw the jersey at him, and, he's, and he grabs it and he throws it back. He goes, No, I didn't. And I'm like, What? Oh yeah, you did, dude. I'm yellow. I mean, we all know that. I think all the fans know that. And uh, he's like, Yeah, not today, bud. Um, Kevin Stevens has the flu, so you're practicing with Gravy and Gretzky, and I'm just like, Are you? F- kidding me and he's laughing at me because you could see the glazed over look in my eyes so now my heart is in my throat and I'm like this is not good this like I grew up idolizing Wayne Gretzky and now I have the opportunity to practice with him and I'm it couldn't be more hungover I'm probably still drunk and now I'm thinking what have I done to my like this is like a career defining moment right right when you're about to break through maybe you do something stupid go get drunk with your buddy and now you're playing now you're practicing with the greatest well with the greatest player that's ever played so this is all going through my head as i'm trying to figure out how do i manage this whole situation as far as like okay i need to get your your head wrapped around this get your body ready you just got to get through this one practice so i go into the shower crank it on freezing cold sitting there for like 10 minutes and figure out like should i tell Gretzky i'm hungover First of all, does he even know who I am? Second of all, do I tell him I'm hungover or do I just play it off like, okay, I'm just, that's how I always am? So I'm thinking, you know what? He's a dude. He's going to understand. Just man up and just tell him what's going on. So I walk over to him like, hey, Wayne, uh, I'm practicing with you today. He's like, yeah, I saw that. I'm like, yeah, I just want to let you know um, I had a buddy in town. Things may have um, gone on a little bit later than I would have liked and I'm you know, just a slightly hungover. So if you don't mind, would, could you just keep the puck away from me and maybe, you know, just throw it over to Graves and I'll just kind of bang in rebounds and I'll do all the grunt work and, you know, we'll, you know, I'll survive this practice and hopefully not get cut. And he's like, Prongs, don't worry about it. I've been there myself. And I'm like, yes, he knows my name. All right, he's on board. The greatest player in the game is on board. And all of a sudden, things started to lighten up for me. I just felt like, okay. We're going to get through this. Kretz is on board. 
I'm going to get out there. We're gonna, he's going to snap the puck around. I'll probably bang in a couple rebounds, maybe leave a good taste in the coach's mouth and be like, you know what? The Pronger kid looked pretty good today. And so now I'm thinking this is going to be my chance. So we get out for practice. And I'm, I'm skipping around the warm-up like I'm a 15-year all-star. I'm like, like, just like the arrogance that I had as a fifth-liner practicing with Gretzky was not, it's just embarrassing, but I'm, I'm just going with it. And so I'm just enjoying every moment. And I'm just like thinking, what if? Like, what if? There's, there's that ch- small chance. You know, I remember reading an article that Gretzky once said that you've put, if you put a bunch of hockey players out on a pond, they're eventually going to find the players that they pair up with naturally. Just the way they each see, the way they pass, the way they see each other's blades, and they'll just find each other, like him and Yari Curry did. And I, I kept thinking about that article, and I was like, what if? I mean, I, I gave it about a 1% chance that that could happen, but I'm like, what if? What if we're out here? Because the Rangers at that time, we were kind of struggling. And so it wouldn't be out of, like, it would be completely plausible that if there was an ounce of chemistry, that they might give us at least a game. And so I thought, okay, what if? What if Gretzky and I had this natural, undeniable chemistry and we get to play the next game and let's say we win, maybe we do something good and we get the next game and the next game. And so this is all going through my head in warm-up of a f***ing practice. And so I'm like, all right, here we go. And so first, finally, Muckler blows a whistle. All right, we're going to warm up. We're doing three-on-twos, like straight down, like kind of three, three-quarter ice, three-on-twos. I kept forgetting, like, I'm the first line, so I better get my together and get, be ready to go. So I'm like, all right, let's do, do this. And so I'm expecting Gretzky, hey, we had a deal. He's going to backhand this saucer pass over to Gravy. He'll either shoot it or shoot it, probably, as uh, Adam Graves can. And so I'm not really even looking. Anyway, I, at the corner of my eye, I just see this, like, fluttering puck come flying over to me. I'm like, holy shit, he's passing it to me already? And it, you know, it was, a, it was like a, a wounded duck, and it hits the back. I'm playing on my off wing because I'm left-handed shot, playing the right right side. It goes off my backhand and literally over the glass. And the whistle goes. He's like, "All right, go again." So we do it again. He does the same thing. I don't think this one did not go over out of play, but whatever. I fumbled it around. Anyway, that was just the sign of things to come. And every single pass Gretzky made was to me. Every one of them, and I barely survived that practice and I skated over to him after I'm like Gretz I'm so sorry I didn't yeah I don't don't know what to tell you he's like Prongs don't worry about it I've been there myself and he gave me a wink and I'm like that he was playing me the whole time and I think that was actually better than if he wasn't because it made me feel like I was part of the team like he like I was close enough in the group that he could with me like that or he just didn't give a shit about me and just did it anyway. But it was, uh, yeah, that's the Gretzky story. And uh, I, still, I still think we would have had some great chemistry. But uh, I guess the world will never know. And some great storytelling by Sean Pronger. And thanks, as always, to Greg Hengler for getting us this great story. And sometimes big stories in life, well, they're just brushes with greatness. And how greatness handles things. I mean, that Gretzky handled Pronger this way teased him, meant, hey, you're one of the guys. It happens. Come on, let's get through this. Great storytelling and Sean Pronger's stories are chronicled in his memoir, Journeyman, the many triumphs and even more numerous defeats of a guy who's seen just about everything in the game of hockey. By the way, Pronger now lives with his wife and two children in Orange County, 
California. By the way, send your stories in like this. We've all, at some time or another, maybe came up or brushed up against some people like this in our lives. And it's very counterintuitive to hear a star treat somebody who comes in drunk to practice like this uh, in, a, in, a, in a gentle way, in a, in a fun way. So send your stories, as always, to OurAmericanStories.com. Sean Pronger's story, I was Gretzky's hungover line mate, here on Our American Stories. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 